Hello, thank you for listening to the Trinity Ability Co-op podcast. The Trinity Ability Co-op is a cooperative of students with disabilities working together on projects to promote disability inclusion on campus. This episode is about language around disability. This is part two of a two-part episode. We hope you enjoy today's episode. So uh, how would the both of you kind of view your like disability? Like for like for yourselves like for me I see it as um like it's allowed me to bring a bit of color into a world full of black and white that's how I explain it like it yes it makes me different but in the last maybe year or so I've kind of come to the terms of like I won't have myself any other way so what would you guys think um like your view on disability honestly I, I think it just changes on a day-to-day basis like there are de- days where I definitely agree with you and I'm like do you know what actually I think this makes me more of an empathetic person um, and it's taught me a lot and like I don't think I would be as strong as I am now without my disabilities but then obviously there's other days where you're just like incredibly frustrated with yourself and you're just like what have I actually done to deserve this and, yeah. like, and it, it does get very frustrating especially when you see like how other people don't struggle with the things you struggle with. And, you know, once you get to that stage where you compare yourself, it can be really difficult. Um, But yeah, I think that's like one thing that I kind of struggle with when non-disabled people kind of expect us to be positive about it all the time, because I don't think you can be. Like there are just going to be moments where you are going to feel overwhelmed with a disability and where you just wish you didn't have it. And that's absolutely fine. I feel like everyone has like a very complex relationship with it. And I don't think anyone should be able to dictate that in any way at all. Yeah, like I definitely do agree with you. There's been plenty of times where I've screamed at the ceiling to God, like, what did I do? Seriously, what did I do? Like, I must have been like some type of mass murderer in my past life. But I definitely do agree with you. Um, what would you to even say, Jordan? Kind of, again, kind of the same as both of you. It'd be very sort of up and down and all around the place, pretty much. To be, like I sort of do accept it as like it's a it's a part of me, and I wouldn't be who I am without it. But like I think the way I best describe it is like it's like I'm on a roller coaster the whole time. Where it's sort of like you have the sort of like when it's building up to something or like something's happening, you just sort of sit there like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and you're just like you have the drops and you're full of adrenaline and you're hyper and you're like, yes. Then you have the loop the loops that make you scared. It's like, what have I done to deserve this? <laughs> you know, it it, it it's it is like a roller coaster, but you know, as I said, I wouldn't be who I am without it. So I do definitely accept it that it's yeah. part of me. And you know, it's something that you know is gonna stay with me for the rest of my life. It's something that basically I've learned basically how to live with. And and I've also met just met some cool friends. Because of it as well, so I wouldn't change it for the world either. Mm. But I want to even talk about like you know, inspirational language that, like, you know, yourself, you have those people are like, ah, oh, like, you're doing, you're doing great, and like, I don't know what's your disability, and like, really, really, <laughs> we're like, um, so. 
I want to ask um, even with you, Gigi, have you experienced people using inspirational language around you? Yeah, 100%. Um, and I find it so frustrating because it really isn't the compliment you think it is. Um, I think, again, it kind of comes from that awkwardness that people feel around disability. They don't really know how to deal with it and they want to be supportive, but they don't know how. Um, so that's kind of how it comes out sometimes. So I understand it comes from a good place, um, but I wish like people would reflect upon it a little bit more um, because like obviously it is difficult. Like I, I know it's tricky to talk about because obviously like you could call anyone inspirational and it can be a great compliment but it's just when it's like directly linked to your disability it's like you're only inspirational because you're doing things despite your disability i think sometimes that can be a little bit problematic because it does make it feel like you're completely defined by it and like obviously i i am very proud of the things that i have achieved and and i am very aware that i've achieved them despite despite my disabilities but yeah i feel like it kind of makes you feel like as a disabled person, you're only worth something if you are inspirational and that disabled people who can be productive and can like have these amazing achievements that they are like worth less. So I think that's why I have such an issue with it because I don't think you have to be particularly inspirational to be, you know, to have like inherent worth as a disabled person. So yeah, I think it is very complex and like I know people don't mean any harm when they say it, but I think, yeah, they, they kind of need to reflect on it a little bit more. <laughs> So Gigi, would you kind of say the fact that like people that kind of use inspirational language too much um, kind of run the risk of like making making the person feel that like they're like a project? Nearly? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem. Like it kind of like, it's almost dehumanizing in a way. Like um it's almost like you know every th single thing you achieve it's like oh you're so inspirational it's like they're using completely just different standards for you than for everyone else which i don't want like obviously like i do have like specific needs because of my disabilities and like i appreciate any sort of accommodations that can be made for that but i don't want you to use completely completely different standards on me than you would on everyone else and i feel like it's a little bit like infantilizing and just not very respectful um to use that language like I always, I, I think also it's like you run the risk of well putting the person on a pedestal. Mm. That like it, like you know, if the pedestal's too high, you can't get back down. And you, it's like even what would you even think, Jordan? It kind, of, it's a weird sort of cast twenty two situation. Yeah, but like Gigi said, they obviously like don't mean anything inherently bad behind it. They think it's so like trying to sort of praise you or so like try and make you feel a bit better about yourself but that inspirational language just makes me just like want to curl up into a ball and just be like <laughs> why are people like this it's just so cringy with, with like if it's a case like it's seen all the time like uh for example one time i said to my friend like i just, just i have by the way look i have autism and that kind of thing and that person just went oh you don't you know you don't you don't look autistic and i'm like dude don't say this <laughs> like I, I was just like right i block <laughs> i think as well it's like there's no sort of like a like a man manufa manufactured kind of disabled person like there's no sort of we're all different like yes i'm say for example i walk with a limp 
but like it's very kind of unnoticeable until I like I've had a people where like oh I didn't know you had a disability until I say it I'm like did you not just see me walk <laughs> you know <laughs> it's those sort of things and you kind of think like you get those situations where like say like I'd explain about oh the way my like language affects affects me because if someone speaks to me too lo- for too long I've checked out like I've you know lights out I've basically gone to sleep like and then like I check back in so but people don't understand that because they just see the physical aspect aspect of the disability but at the same time you're kind of thinking there's so so many signs that leads to people saying like they have they have some type of um disability and then they they don't they're, they're not willing to recognize it and that's where the issue lies so even Jordan what would you think would be like the effects of like, the inspirational language has on this disability community uh, I think it's it, it, it can stem from so sort of like the division among sort of the disabled community and then those who are not disabled um, you know so like it, it feels sometimes like constant sort of talking down to and basically like I feel like you know it's sort of like I feel like you're treating us like children or like treating us in a way different compared to everyone else, but in a bad way. You mm-hmm. know, it can sort of cause a bit of a rift, you know, amongst people, you know, who are disabled and people who are not. And it, it also sort of like false praise nearly. And so, like, oh, we're applauding you for not having, you know, for not showing your disability pretty much. And so, like, that's not what I want. I want you guys to be happy because I to accept me because I do have a disability, not because I'm masking to the point where you can't detect it. Mm. Like, I think a lot, as, as you were saying there, like, you know, the false praise and it's like, you're being praised over something that like, you shouldn't really be praised, praised for. Like, I know, like, so, like say my grandmother, when she um, was here, she was like, Lorna, like you have a disability. You're not any different from your cousins. There's like no sort of division now. To a certain extent, like family would know what I could do, but it would always be like, try it and then come back to us. Like there's, I think there's a difference between like, you know, people wanting to help and then just people just giving the help as well with the inspirational quote, quote where like they're saying, oh, well, at least you try it. Like, no, <laughs> that's not the point. Um, so I want to talk to you both about um, actually training uh, itself and the lecturers. So I want so for example, if Trinity came to to you both and said, "I, Jordan, Gigi, we want you to talk to the cla- talk to the whole lecturers of Trin- um, 
Trinity, both undergrad, masters, and say to help them change around language, change um, language around disability in terms of their um, teaching. What would you say, um, Gigi? Yeah, so I think um, in general, what I always found to be a really good idea is if people like lecturers openly dress that they're open to talking about these things. Like it's happened to me once or twice when at the start of the term, like um, a lecturer would send out an email and basically say, um, by the way, if you have any accessibility needs, please do contact me. Um, and I feel like even having like a small sentence like that in your introductory email kind of shows people that you are open to, you know, make like things more accessible for people and it could be like simple stuff like i've messaged um lecturers to say could you please like post the powerpoint slides um before the lecture rather than after because i can't see very well and like i have a visual impairment and it helps me to be able to look at it on my laptop rather than having to stare at the screen and be like even in the front row just like squinting and not being able to see anything um and in terms of language like i think with everything else um just like with everything else um, it's just like the importance of like being very open about it and maybe even like if the lecturer said like by the way if I say anything that's offensive in any way or oh, please call me out on it and just kind of um, rather than having like the sort of like hierarchy that you often have between the students and lecturers lecturers acknowledging that they can learn from students especially when you know you know especially in like English literature classes you will sometimes talk about disability um, and then I feel like it's time for the lecturers, if they're not disabled themselves, to kind of stand back a little bit and let the students talk as well and like just recognise that disabled people are always going to be the authority on it. And, you know, obviously they could like seek advice, um, you know, attend workshops and stuff just to make sure that they're doing everything they can, both in terms of like accessibility in general, but also like, you know, the language they use in particular. But definitely, you know, the fact that students should feel comfortable to call out lecturers when they do use language that's not inappropriate, that's inappropriate in any way mm. yeah like i definitely do think like would you think that even uh, there's an element of being afraid because like you know how we're always kind of taught that we we shouldn't be kind of calling people out certain people out so just let it pass and you know do you think Gigi, that like there is an element of like, fear among students Yeah, definitely. Like, I think it depends on the lecturers. And that's why I think it's so important that they like actively express that they want to hear from students and they, that they do see the students as equals to them um, rather than, you know, because I think it, in a lot of cases, like if I heard a lecturer say something problematic, there have been like situations where I haven't stepped up and said anything because I was worried about my grade. And I was like, well, if I call them out now, are they going to be offended and are they going to mark me down? So I think, you know, obviously there's never a guarantee they're not going to do that. But if a lecturer stands up in the first session of the class and just says, by the way, um, I value your opinions and I want to like educate myself here as well. So if there's anything I say that you have a problem with or that's like insensitive or inappropriate in any way, please like do make me aware of it and we can have a, have a discussion about it. Um, and I'll make sure to avoid it in future. I think even just like having that openness making sure that, you know, it's like, it's like, it's not a one-sided thing. It's not just lecturers teaching us something where they can learn from us as well, um, especially when it comes to sensitive topics like this. So I feel like just having that openness and like trying to like unravel that sort of hierarchy between like students and, and professors is very important. Mm. 
Um, Jordan, do you think that there is anything that the college can do to help raise awareness of language around disability? Like, I remember, you know, I didn't do my undergrad for, I didn't do my undergrad in Trinity. Um, I did it uh, in TU Dublin. But I, I, I vividly remember, like, all through my college years, that there would be people talking during the during their lectures while the lecturers uh, giving their content and I because the way my disability works I switch to hearing what they're saying like doing what they're saying rather than actually the content it's just something I can't help you know but is there anything that it's a case that like letters, lecturers can do maybe like on maybe the first week or so, like even like a housekeeping type of um, stuff to try and help with even like class um, attention to help disabled um, students to actually learn the content. Yeah, uh, I do think like sometimes I, like a little bit of housekeeping about sort of like. Um, etiquette amongst sort of uh, you know lectures or like just be mindful you know please try to refrain from speaking to person people next to you during lectures because either a it, they may just want to hear what's going on or b it could be affecting someone who has you know an, att- uh, an attention span problem or uh, a problem where like you know they could just switch into hearing something else or just annoy people just at the end of the day <laughs> like if people are speaking you know, I do it sometimes, but like if it's mainly just to ask a question or something, but if someone's like speaking nonstop to a lecture, I'm like, stop. <laughs> uh, I, I think that they can't, you know, they, they can do stuff, even like as Gigi said, sort of something where at the start, I say, like if you have any accessibility needs or anything, you know, to that degree, just to contact them. Like, I know, like for me, for example, like I didn't hear about like registering, even registering with the disability service, you know, until second year, just because I just didn't know like it was it existed pretty much. So like a little, a little bit more sort of advert, like, well, advertisement, I think is the is the proper word, of a disability service of the ability co-op, you know, directing basically disabled students to places where they can go that would you know have a better clue to help them compared to some of the the, the academic offices or the lecturers themselves. Mm. So would you think that even like the how important the disability services is, like how how important it is for like students to try and get, get in early as much as they can, like try and get the support they need, Jordan? Yeah, like yeah, I definitely struggled with that my first year, you know, just with the uh, not really getting the appropriate support, you know, the extra time, like, you know, the extra time on exams or, you know, being thrown into the RDS and being distracted by a million and one things going on. Um, so I do think like it, it impacted my my performance in first year, um, you know, but I think advertising a bit more and sort of getting students felt that they need straight away is definitely paramount to sort of their success in, in college. Uh, both from an academic point of view and also from a social point of view as well. Mm. Um, that's great. Like I'm, I'm actually loving the hearing like your thoughts and all this. Like it's actually really, really impre- refreshing. 
Um, so I also want to talk to you as well that like, uh, like some conditions may not always may not always mean they have the same effect on another person. Like as I said to you before, uh, my disability is cast physical, uh, but more affects me um, like language wise. But I remember a few weeks ago actually I had a bit of a situation on Dublin bus where I was getting ready to come, to get off the bus and all of a sudden this woman decides to help me put my bag on. And I'm like like thank you. Like first she she was trying to hold my um my coffee cup and then she tried to help me put my bag on and be jack and I'm thinking No <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's not that's not right. Like the only person that can do that is my mother <laughs> will ask me. <laughs> like my mother my parents are the only two people that can do that. Um so I actually wanted to ask you about like misconceptions about how some people they may have the same condition but have different effects. What would you think like the DG like those sort of situations. Yeah, I think with that, it's just so important to just talk to each other. Like, I don't understand how that woman could just do that rather than just asking like, do you want any help with this? Um, that's just, I can't comprehend it. Like it's completely wild to me that um, anyone would kind of do something that invasive um, without asking you first. But I think that's the case for everything. Like I remember back in school, like I had like a conflict um, with a friend of mine at the time because we both had like an anxiety disorder but um, she had like a panic attack, a panic attack in class, and she had to leave the classroom, and I didn't follow her out. Um, and she was really upset with me because I didn't follow her and check up on her. Um, and the reason I hadn't done that was because when I have panic attacks, I need to be with myself because I don't want to be a burden to anyone. Um, and it really stresses me out when someone sees me in that situation. So that's why I left her to be by herself. But she was really upset about it. So. Um, I think that's just like a classic example of how people will need different kinds of support even when they have like similar symptoms even. And then obviously symptoms can vary within the same disabilities as well. Um, so I think it's just really important that you, like obviously you try to figure out what needs you have and what kind of things like help you like cope with your symptoms a little bit better and to then kind of communicate that to other people. And like, especially for non-disabled people, rather than just acting, even if it comes from a good place, just ask people what they need um, and they will tell you and then yeah. you can actually be helpful rather than being invasive. Like, I, I just remember thinking about this woman, like, like I just remember feeling, thinking, like, did this woman, was this woman vaccinated? Like, especially in COVID times, like, was she actually vaccinated? Like, she could have anything. I'm not, now, I know it came from a good place, but like we're, you have to think, I think we're living in COVID times. And like, what do you think even say, Jordan, when that, like when people try and help in the wrong way, yes, you know, they're, it's coming from a good place, but what do you think, like, especially with COVID, like how that can affect someone with a disability? I think, as you said, like if I was in that the situation you were in, if someone was trying to like just randomly help me on like let's say for example for me the diet, like you know, again I've 
I'd be nearly like going like what in like I'd be nearly sort of nearly panicking, you know, it, like offering offering the help. Yes, perfect. You know, if the person you know accepts the help, then thank thank you. That's really appreciated. But if it's sort of like it feels more invasive uh, than helpful, you know, it sort of feels like you're more attacking us than sort of helping us out in a way because mm. it's all like you're not only invading our you know sort of private bubble which i know you know for one of my friends in particular is very sort of strict about that and would hate that situation but also like it would just make them feel uncomfortable as you said especially during covert times if they like you know if they weren't vaccinated obviously you don't know if someone's vaccinated but if they weren't vaccinated or god forbid if it's more physical thing if they're like not wearing a mask or something you'd be it'd be a lot more sort of a panicked and stressful situation for the person with disability than it would be in normal times for example yeah like i i said i definitely know it came from a good place but it was just the fact like i said she was trying to hold the cup and i was like no i'm good i'm fine i think once they say that once i think the other person say they're fine that's when like draw the line you know what i mean like for me my friends kind of, um, my friends would ask, like, ask me to, to want some help, but they know the difference of when I need help and when I can do it myself. Like, there's been times where they said, like, Lorna, you, like, if you don't let us help you, you will break your neck. Like, there's no two ways about it. Like, and I said, like, even with family, this, like, what would you even think that like leaving to the people that you personally know to actually help you in those type of situations? What would you even think about that, uh, Gigi? Yeah, I think when they're available, a lot of the time that is like the best option, isn't it? Because it's people that you feel comfortable and that kind of know your own limits and know how to help you. Um, but at the same time, like obviously you might not always have these people around you. So I do appreciate it when like, people on the bus, for instance, do offer help, but it's just about making that offer rather than just going and invading someone's personal space. And I feel like it is so offensive in the way as like, as you were saying, like, I think sometimes it's people trying to take away the things from us that we can actually do. It's like, we know you're disabled, so it means you can't do this and this and this. And if you can actually do that, they won't believe you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of one frustrating aspect of it as well. Like, if I tell you I'm able to do this, please just let me do it and like stop trying to take like my like sort of yeah ability to do things for myself away from me. I do have that ability and I am going to use it. Like, yeah, I think it's always a case that people don't understand how you could nearly. It's a case that like you're not you're taking away someone's independence rather than actually helping them like I know like I have a system coming off public transport like that I've I've been doing since I was about 16 that um like I have a routine I have it down and I'm fine don't have to ask anybody for help but at the same time it's like it's not that I, I think it's always a fear that if someone says like say you say oh no it's fine and it's the second or third time saying no it's fine coming off as being kind of like 
insert the word kind of bitchy. Do you know what I mean? Or like being like bad or horrible. You know, it's not a case of her trying to be that way. It's a case that you've asked us three times. And like, what, what would you even think, uh, Jordan, that like, ask, you've been asked three times and you've said no all those three times. And then you nearly made out to be a bad person. As I said earlier, it's sort of like an invasion of privacy. But it's also sort of, I think Gigi uh, mentioned as well, sort of taking away that sort of, you know, independence that either someone would have worked for or, you know, just naturally has. Like, I think there is this perception, uh, general perception that uh, people with disabilities sort of need to be helped. And mo- sometimes, you know, sometimes yes, but, mo- but like sometimes, well, you just don't. So usually, like, what I've sort of practiced, if someone asks me sort of if I need help three times, I'll just say, look, I'm fine. Please stop asking. Uh, and I can use that just either just with a close, some of the close like a family member or just like someone random out, on, out, random out on the street or something. You know, it's sort of just like making that sort of like shut off wall. Say like, I'm fine. Leave me alone. But like, it, obviously, in a more polite way. And that's sort of something I found has helped me. But I do get annoyed if people just keep repeatedly asking, are you okay, are you okay, are you okay? I'm like, I will tell you if I'm not okay. Yeah, I think it's like a question of agency, really. Like, I think they're just trying to take that away from us. Like, not not meaning to, obviously, but I think that's the problem. Like, the idea that disabled people have to kind of constantly be monitored and other people have to make decisions for them. And that's taken away our agency and our ability to make our own decisions. So in a way it is really dehumanizing, even though it comes from a good place. But I think that's like the misunderstanding that like, or like misapprehension that people have of disability. Like the idea that we're not like fully independent human beings because we have a disability. Um, so that's, I think why I find it so upsetting, even though, you know, people are just trying to help. Hmm. So I also want to ask you, uh, what type of, um, have you had any like invalidating experiences like in your life, uh, Jordan? None that sort of come to, to mind, pretty much. Uh, to, to do more stuff to do with my disability, I've been obviously excluded because of either personal reasons or uh, other reasons, pretty much. But I haven't really, hmm. in my, it, it, so far, and such word it doesn't happen I haven't really encountered anything that I've been dis- excluded because of my disability mm. what would you say Gigi yeah I think I have like what you said about um, invalidating I think that's like quite a common thing um, like with my visual impairment it's like more like there's like more facts to it I suppose and it's like more you know you can actually kind of prove it in a sense um, like people would kind of you know as a child like people would kind of comment on it and make fun of it but like not like it wasn't like an everyday thing to be fair so I got I got kind of lucky in that respect but with like my mental illness I think um, a lot of the time the reaction I got because I'm like really good at masking it like I just learned that from a young age and like people can't tell when I'm in a bad place like even my close friends a lot of the time they can't tell um even though like you know I am like very close to them and they, they, they can't pick up on it because I'm so used to like hiding it completely. Um, 
and that's why like a lot of the time when I have told people about they were like oh no you're not no way like you're not depressed or you're not you don't have an anxiety disorder like you've got nothing to be anxious about your life is perfect and I feel like having to kind of fight against that and like constantly trying to have to prove yourself like no I am actually ill because it just makes you question yourself it's like am I just imagining this um because it isn't like obviously it's like more difficult to grasp um when it's something that's like more mental and the, the reason that I actually got diagnosed with an with anxiety disorder in the first place was because I started developing lots of like physical symptoms and if I don't think that if that hadn't happened I would have ever gotten a diagnosis because I wouldn't have realized that it had got to that level where I, I desperately needed help um, so I think that's part of the problem like the way that other people perceive you in your life um, can sometimes contradict the sort of yeah, ideas I have about these mental illnesses. Like maybe that even like a, my GP said to me when I wanted to go on medication, he said to me, well, but you don't seem like a stereotypical depressed person. So I'm gonna do some extra tests with you because I don't genuinely believe you are depressed. Um, which was so frustrating because it took me so long to admit to myself that I was at a point where I couldn't like keep on living without medication. And then having to wait like another two months to actually get the medication that I needed was like such an extra strain and like you know the fact that you constantly have to justify yourself um and that even like when you are quite like self-aware that can sometimes like not help you in a sense because you kind of understand your own symptoms and the way your brain works quite well um and then people are like well you can't be that mentally ill then if you, if you understand what's going on um i think yeah that's that's kind of a problem and like a lot of the time people won't take it serious and they're just like oh yeah like everyone's a bit sad sometimes it's just not the same thing yeah. um so yeah like it definitely do think like I know my friend has been um, diagnosed with a disability recently and like that she's having so many issues with trying to like get doctors to go through um, go through it and you're just I, I remember sitting here um, talking to her about it and saying like, like I can see this like I'm no doctor. Like I, I have an early childhood background, but I can see it in her. Like the penny has dropped. Like it's like flaming lotto at this point that like she has this condition, and you're sitting here like, and it doesn't take a doctor's degree to. It's like that having the, the invalidated experience and the. It gets frustrating because especially where, when it's either if it's you or a close friend I think that it's annoying because you can see the you can see the beauty inside yourself or in them but you can see how much they're struggling and it breaks my heart and kind of makes me angry I think it gets like gets to the stage where you do get angry about when say doctors don't say no like, say one doctor says no you have this no you have that they don't it it's a it gets you annoyed and frustrated and angry the fact that like the people you love have to go through this and I think it's a case of like we could talk about this all day about the invalidation of like how people can very easy to say oh no you don't like I find the fact like or even for me around the um 
when I when I talk to when I t- say to people like don't say certain language, like oh here we go, Lorna, can you just stop? Don't and it's you're thinking, you're basically invalidating the like how I'm feeling. That's not right. Like I want you to ask even for you, Jordan, how would you think that like this impacts on our rights, like as disabled people? Yeah, it's a it's a massive infringement on on our on our rights because it's our right to sort of be understood, well, to yeah, you know, and sort of be allowed to sort of give our side of things and sort of infringement and say, ah, oh, here we go again. We'll just stop about that or that kind of thing. It's it is sort of very you know bad thing to do for you know to someone who's trying to explain themselves to someone and. You know, especially around like again, as you said as well, just sort of like, you know, people have that attitude of just being ignorant towards it because it is plain ignorance. You know, it's definitely not helping anyone in the situation. Like, obviously, you're staying ignorant, and then, you know, you don't learn how to better treat either your friends, family, you know, peers, whatever. Then that person who's trying to explain it feels extremely invalidated when to a point that possibly they may not even, you know, try and, you know, validate, validate their feelings or emotions or disability to someone ever again. And, like, that's not what we want in the, you know, at all. Like, I don't know whether the two of you know this, but there's some doctors, like, around the world, and this is actually um, known, like, because I, I think... RTE did like a prime time kind of documentary on it but a lot of doctors don't believe in ADHD as a condition and you're like they believe oh you know the bold child or like they just have to try harder to sit still or things like that like I get really like like that makes me sad because what the definition of ADHD is basically is a chemical imbalance of the brain and like the say um a, a child like they don't they can't help what they're doing so even what would you even think um Gigi about like things like that like with doctors not believing with things like different conditions yeah, it's so frustrating because the process of even getting an d- d- appointment with a GP and, you know, mustering up that energy a lot of the time can be quite challenging as it is. And then when you turn up there and they just invalidate you, that can be such a kick in the face. And for a lot of people, it means, you know, they don't trust the medical establishment at all. Like, I literally wouldn't go to the doctor for eight years because I had, like, an awful experience at a hospital because they, they were completely invalidating me. I was actually in there because I was so ill from my anxiety that I couldn't eat. And like, I had to be like on an IV drip for like 10 days. And they just wouldn't listen to me when I told them, you know, you've put the strip in wrong, like it's hurting me. They're like, no, you're just being like a silly child. Like, cause I was like young as well. And like, I was the woman, like, I think they just weren't taking me seriously. And like, they never found out what actually caused it. Like I only found out later on through my therapist that it was caused by anxiety. And they never really like went into that at all. So like, they definitely completely failed at their job. Um, And like, obviously that's not to like talk shit about like people who work for the, for health services at all. Like I know like most of them do like an amazing job, but I think it's so important that 
um, like doctors, like learn to be a bit more empathetic as well with patients. And just to make sure that like people know themselves, they know their symptoms and they will have probably done their research. And like, of course they don't have a medical degree. And I understand that it's annoying when someone comes in and like, they're like, I think I have this. And then, you know, you might have a different opinion as a doctor and you have like studied it and all. Um, but at the same time, like people won't just go to the doctor willy nilly, like, like, you know, make some sort of claim when they haven't thought about it. So I think a lot of the time, I feel like doctors need to take the time to listen to patients more. And like, I know that this is like a huge debate within like the chronically ill community in particular. And um, because a lot of the time, if people have like fairly rare conditions, like doctors won't necessarily know that much about them and they won't give them the right treatment. And rather than admitting their lack of knowledge and ignorance, they would just like kind of refuse treatment or not do anything at all to help people. So I think, yeah, I think there needs to be more education on like how doctors actually react to patients and making sure that people's experiences don't get invalidated and that they don't feel like they can go to the doctor because they're not taken seriously. Because that's when like health conditions can deteriorate even more when you don't even feel comfortable speaking to the one person that is, you know, going to help you make better. Mm. And I, I think as well, the fact that like a lot of conditions can be masked as like could be a consequence of a, like a certain disability. Like, you know, yes, you could be diagnosed with um, one condition, but yet it does not mean that it's actually that. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those, it's one of the most frustrating things because you're kind of saying like, it's, what it's doing is it's making the road to actually getting yourself to the point where you can actually live like confidently like on standby it's making it harder to actually be able to like move on with life and like get yourself organized um even Jordan what would you say to that yeah, like, you know, dis- like distrusting like medical professors, as it, it just causes things to just go completely downhill. Like, I know two of my friends um, in particular, I, I think, like, another thing that just sort of impacts as well is also just costs as well. So, like, I know, like, two of my friends, one of them uh, is, look- is looking to get officially diagnosed with uh, autism and ADHD. And another friend who says she basically has undiagnosed ADHD, but they can't get that official diagnosis just because it just costs so much. You know, I think that's another sort of barrier with things. But as for like doctors who sort of like obviously don't believe in conditions, be it they be so if they don't believe in it, like a physical disability, like I think they're the wrong profession, but like physical, but and as well mental disabilities as well. I think like it's just. It is sort of dis- disheartening to see, and it is something that needs to be tackled, especially if there's already the studies that needs to be tackled either by uh, activist groups or if it's like a, you know an, an Irish medical professional. I said it was a uh, episode on prime time. You know the HSC needs to sort of step in because it is dehumanizing to the point that I don't believe that you have this condition, and like as Gigi sort of said. You know, these, if they're undiagnosed medical conditions, they just spiral down, 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 just completely out of control to the point where it affects, you know, the person's physical, mental health, and also possibly the, the health of those surrounding them as well. 
Yeah, I think as well, especially with the likes of with ADHD, um, that like it's much easier to actually be diagnosed as a child rather than being an adult. Like, there's nothing out there for um, like adults with ADHD to try and get any type of support or like overcome this. And so the thing is, that's no good because when you think about it that a lot of people will, are only diagnosed when they're in like, adulthood. Like, there probably is a yeah. small percentage of children that are, like, officially diagnosed with ADHD as a child. Yeah, I think it's also, again, it can, I've noticed this as well uh, in the autism community, it can be also something of a gender type of thing as well. Like, I've noticed that myself and some of my friends like Phelan, Christopher, Kieran, we're all diagnosed at sort of a younger age bracket. Like, before, we'll say before 10. Like, I was diagnosed when I was eight. Uh, my other friends were before 10. But with uh, my friends who identify as female, like, say, Chloe, uh, a couple of my other friends as well, they're diagnosed much later in life, in their late teens, early 20s, you know, and the reason for it is, is just because I think they sort of said that uh, females sort of are better, I wouldn't say better at masking in general, but say mask a lot harder than males would be. And so I think it can also be a gender thing, but also, as you said as well, you know, it's you know, not believing it is also a, lot, a massive part of the problem as well. Like I think as well that like for for girls that it's like shows up in different ways. It kind of doesn't like likes of ADHD don't necessarily present the standard way. Like this, I think this is what the whole kind of thing with the podcast that it's it's showing that like disability isn't seen in one like standalone standalone molded um sort of objective ob- object if you will that like it's like you know they broke the mold with the word disability so to speak um so i, I want to actually ask you just to like as a final thing it's like is there anything you would like to um, add to the podcast just to finish off uh, Gigi or Jordan <laughs> um, nothing in particular but I just think this is such a great idea to just sit down and have this conversation um, and yeah I feel like you know if, if you've listened to this like that's a good start like just keep like listening to disabled people talk about what's going on um, regardless of like whether you're disabled yourself or not like if you are like it's a great way of finding your community but if you're not like I feel like you because it can be a little bit daunting to just like be like oh I want to learn about disability do I have to read like all this dis- disability theory now or whatever and you can do that and like it's going to help you there's like some great like even if you look up just like the social model of disability and things like that that can like make such a big impact on like how you can understand it but at the same time if that's not your type of thing and you're just like you know you're kind of overwhelmed with academic stuff it it can be so much easier to just like follow people on twitter or instagram or any sort of social media pages that you use 
follow people with different conditions um, that talk about their everyday life because that's like the best way of understanding it. I'll read books that feature disabled people. Um, yeah, I feel like that's like probably the best way forward. Just, you know, all of us making an effort, educate yourself, ourselves a little bit more um, because I think a lot of the issues around uh, languages, uh, language and disability do stem just from ignorance and they don't necessarily come from like a, a place where people actually want to cause harm or anything like that. Um, so yeah, um, that's all I've got to say, I think. Um, I also think like, as you were saying about following people on social media, I know um, people who would be great to actually follow is the likes of like, Sinead Burke and um, actually Disabled Women Ireland. Like they, they're great people to actually follow if people are actually wondering, you know, who, who to start off with. Um, and I know with Twitter or even Instagram, they have like, who you follow, like the suggestions. Like if you press uh, the follow button, um, it'll pop up. So don't worry if you can't fit, find anyone else. Generally, like the likes of um, Twitter and Instagram will kind of help make suggestions. Jordan, is there anything else you would like to say? Uh, basically, just to echo what Gigi said, like these, this is like an important conversation that needs to happen. I'd say as well, both amongst uh, in, in, within the disabled community and also outside of it as well. Um, so those of you who are listening and sort of want to know a bit more about the wonderful world of disabilities, um, there is a lot of resources out there. There's books, there's, again, like we said, we said as well, like social media, like stuff like YouTube, uh, you know, even if you want to just like follow, if you just want to pick someone, let's say for, for instance, uh, Oscar winning um, actor, Sir Anthony Hopkins, uh, you know, said recently that he has he has Asperger's and well autism and you know you can sort of so okay this is my favorite actor he is this let's find out and see what this means you know stuff like that and also uh, you know to people who might have sort of you know disabled friends or know someone who is disabled you know talk don't be afraid to talk to them about their disabilities because they will want you to understand and be tolerable and even welcoming of it just as much as pretty much anything in the world you know so just don't be afraid to talk to you know your friends who do have disabilities and hopefully you know this is just small steps you know towards hopefully you know a more welcoming uh, society for the, for the disabled community, but those small steps is basically how we're going to get there. Yeah, and also just lastly, Jordan, where can we find the EU Neurodiversity Society again? I will get that now. Uh, give me uno momento, por favor. Here we go. So on Instagram um, at du underscore neuro neuro and you should be able to find everything else through there. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, um, you guys. I've actually really, really enjoyed this conversation and I've actually learned so much um, from you too. So thank you. Thank you for having us. This has been great fun. <laughs> this has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the second podcast episode of Language Around Disability. 
We hope you enjoyed the podcast series. Goodbye.